Welcome to Be Your Own Best Coach with JJ, the podcast. I believe that the best coach you can ever have is that one person that is staring straight back at you every morning in the mirror, you. Join me in discovering some key strategies so that you can create an empowered life and inspire others to live theirs. Your journey to being your own best coach starts right now. Welcome to Be Your Own Best Coach with JJ. Nicola Charles trained as an actress and dancer in the UK and started her career in British television commercials, having been chosen as the face to launch Coca-Cola's new flagship brand, Sprite. Nicola has been in numerous commercials with her acting and modelling work. In the mid-1990s, Nicola landed her first acting role, playing Sarah Beaumont in Neighbours. In the UK, she was voted by readers to be the second sexiest woman in the world in FHM's list of the 100 sexiest women in 1998 and again in 1999. Nicola has authored two books and is the CEO of Shield Maiden Publishing. You can listen to Nicola on her fabulous podcast, Charles in Charge, which I absolutely love. Nicola has achieved all of this amazing success whilst being a mum to three beautiful children, Freya, Nova and Archie. And I'm so thrilled to have Nicola on this podcast today. So welcome, Nicola. Thank you. How are you? (laughs) I'm fabulous. How are you? Good. It's weird hearing your life read back like that. Yeah. Your life before everything. <laughs> <laughs> and how does it feel when you when you're listening to that? How does it? I was thinking about you know the second sexiest woman in the world. Do you do you go yeah that's me or do you go oh? <laughs> no, because um, I don't know. Maybe I have some strange detachment disorder. But I um, I've I've always been about work and working yeah and so the only reason actually I ever did any magazine photo shoots or um, modeling or anything was sort of as a greedy capitalist just to make money and support myself you know I was talking in my podcast this morning actually how um, I'm the only person I know like I've I've never had an inheritance I've never uh, been married to anyone who has wealth so for myself and my children, it's just sort of been me. So when I used to get voted into those things, for me, it was just a case of, oh, great, I hope that secures my job on Neighbours for a bit longer. That That's how I looked at it. Yeah, love it, love it. Well, Nicola, you've had such a wealth of achievements. Looking through your bio and in your lifetime from acting, singing, you've, you've, you've had some singing and dancing and modelling and you're an author. Now you podcast with Charles in Charge and being a CEO of your publishing company. What do you think has been in your career, what do you think has been the biggest achievement for you? Um, I think radio uh, because just prior to the pandemic, I'd spent two years on a Sunday morning radio show called That Radio Show. Yeah. Um, And it was just, you know, an hour-long show. And we used to talk about really important subjects, thanks to me, because I was one of the content producers. But I used to do it with a lot of satire. And I found that, um, for me, radio and now podcasting, obviously, as, as the landscape in media has changed, I found it very, um, I felt very constrained as an artist when I became an actor because you're reading and learning the words written by someone else. You're directed on how to perform them by another person. And then it's edited together again by someone else's eyes. So Um, And they do the hair, they do the makeup, and they do the clothing. So essentially you are sort of almost robotic acting. And I understand that, I mean, I'm an instinctive actor, so, you know, it has to come from inside. You have to be able to see it in the eyes, you know, when you're on camera. And so I did really enjoy getting into the moment with the character, uh, particularly Sarah Beaumont. But what I found on radio and in podcasts is that it's, 
my personality, not the personality of a character, mm. my vision and my opinion. And so the freedom I found on radio uh, and podcasting is something that I'm now addicted to and I doubt very much I'd ever want to give that up. <laughs> yeah, and I love, I mean, one of the things that I, I'm a speaker coach, so one of the things that I love about listening to your your podcast is, you know, I'm always saying, have a voice, you know, speak your truth, speak your voice. And, you know, and I hear that in your podcast and I really admire that because often people fear speaking up about particularly polarising topics or topics that uh, you can be judged for. So I really love that, that you go there where I yeah. think a lot of other people don't. Um, and I you, think a lot of, I'll be honest, I think a lot of people are in shock. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a lot of people that I know, whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, I, I think um, the entire experience of um, just seeing our governance completely change and people's personalities, politicians' personalities completely change, I think it has sort of launched everyone into sort of a form of PTSD. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing teenagers, even, you know, my teenagers, they're all getting depressed and stressed. And, um, you know, it's interesting when everyone talks about health and well-being and we're going to keep you safe and we're all in this together when actually everything that's happening is devastating us. So I'm just not buying that narrative at all. Yeah, same, absolutely same. Uh and in the in the entertainment industry, because there is this, I suppose, this facade, and you know, thinking about where where did you where did you begin your your into you know getting into the entertainment industry in regards to being an actress? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, when I was a child, uh, a young teenager, my mother wanted me to enter sort of beauty pageants and stuff, and I didn't want to do it. And, you know, you talked before about what was it like being voted the second sexiest woman in the world. I, I, I literally have, um, like, a, a detachment to that kind of thing. Sort of fame didn't float my boat, any of that stuff. Um, and I always think when I did appearances that it must have been quite disappointing because I was really a bit kind of nonplussed about the whole thing. But um, so she would push me into um, beauty pageants and I had enough of it. So I cut my hair really short into a boy cut so that every time she entered me, I wouldn't win. I'd come second or third or fourth yeah. because I just didn't look like, you know, the pretty girl with long hair anymore. Yeah. And um, so that went south and I didn't think about it again until um, I did a business and finance degree and I went to work for a major UK bank and I got a great job there that I could have had for life. And... Um, because I'd always done dancing as a child, a friend of mine had an audition at um, Pineapple Dance Studios in Common Garden in London. And she said, I'm really excited. It was to be in a musical. And um, she said, will you come with me and we'll have a day out. And we'll go to the shops in London. So I did that and she was sort of waiting in the queue around the corner. And I, I write about this in my autobiography because it was literally the moment that changed my life. Um, and obviously, standing, sitting in a queue on your bag that goes around the corner with lots of dancers stretching and warming up, and it wasn't even for me. So it was a it was winter, but it was a nice sunny day, and all the streets are cobbled in Covent Garden. So I thought to myself, I'm just going to walk up and down the road and see what's at that end, and see what's at that end, and then come back and check in on my friend who's stretching and all that stuff. And um, as I was walking back from one end of the street, a really tall, skinny, blonde guy started walking towards me, like, with a purpose. And had I been alone in that street, like, I would have been a bit worried because I yeah. think I was 18 or 19 at the time. Um, but all these dancers were there lined up, so I wasn't in any danger. And he literally came right up to me, and I thought, well, he's obviously going to ask me directions, and I won't know because I'm not even from London. Um, and he had this beautiful Scottish accent and he said, hello. And I said, hello. And he said, um, I'm so sorry for coming up to you, but I'm the chief executive of Coca-Cola UK. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's nice for you. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, um, 
I would like to see you for a casting, an audition, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for a commercial that we're casting for a new drink from Coca-Cola. And I said, oh, I won't be here tomorrow. I'm just here for the day with my friend. She's over there. Um, and he gave me his business card and he wrote his number on the back. And he said, I highly recommend that you stay in London and come here tomorrow morning. So I thought, how often does the chief executive of Coca-Cola <laughs> walk up to someone and offer them an audition? Um, so I thought I'd better stay. So we did stay. And um, I remember I got lots of filthy looks from all the dancers that were waiting outside the door <laughs> like, what's she got? And I went the next day to the audition at 10 a.m. And it was a tiny little room, um, again, in Covent Garden, in one of those tiny muse houses. And when you go up the little carpeted stairs in the house, the floor creaks because it's like 200 years old. And um, it was a small room with a blue screen and one little camera. And there were these three men, kind of shadowy figures on the back wall. And they were the real head honchos of Coca-Cola. And um, he said, I just want you to pick up that can, take a drink, put it down and smile into camera. And so I did. And this applause started in the back of the room. <laughs> and the man who had stopped me turned around and said, gentlemen, we have our Sprite kids. Wow. They'd already cast the guy and then wanted a guy and a girl and a convertible yeah. car. And they all cheered and they said, um, your life's about to change. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it feels, I feel bad because my entrance into kind of media and entertainment, um, since walking away from beauty pageants with my mum as a kid, was, took such little effort, you know, because that's what modelling is about, you know, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to do it. And I was told later on that the reason I got it is that I have fabulous teeth for a Brit. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, sugary drinks are not actually that good for your teeth, so they have to use people who have great teeth. Yeah, wow. But then you get got into acting, and you know, you say it's an it it was easy for you. You feel guilty getting into it so easily, but that's a craft. Like I, I, you know, that is an absolute craft. So did you did you fall into that and then learn on the job, or did you go and do what? How how did you learn that craft? Sort of. I I was at um, sort of a weekend drama school as a kid. Not one of these fancy drama schools like neither, like you know, where it was your school. It was just a weekend thing. And you could either go in the direction of drama or you could go in the direction of dancing. Well, it turned out that I was a really good dancer. So they put me on the dance troupe um, and we traveled around the country and we won lots of prizes and I kept fit and I had great friends. Um, And so I didn't really take the drama side of it. So what happened was after the Sprite commercial filmed, which we filmed in Lake Garda in Italy for six weeks, it was amazing. Once that commercial got released, uh, my agent's phone just went crackers. So over the next few years, I think I filmed about 61 commercials for British television. And the thing about commercials is there are some commercials, like I remember I did one for Thomas Cook Holidays, where I was a sticker on a suitcase and I was just a girl in in a bikini, you know, sort of going, hurry up and take me on holiday kind of thing, you know, very 1950s. Um, but a lot of time they were speaking to camera and I was told that the reason I'd been cast in the ads was because I connected, my eyes connected with the camera and therefore I connected with the audience watching. So I became the Oil of Ule girl, which is Oil of Ole now, the Ford Cars girl, the Hagen Dazs ice cream girl, the Rimmel makeup girl, like just so many campaigns. And, um, there was a lot of acting involved because what they would do, the art directors would say, okay, you know, you've got the basic things. This is the side of the product we want you to see. This is the side we don't want you to see. This is the side of your face we want. We don't want to see this over here and we can't. you can't move more than two inches left and two inches right. But aside from that, talk to the people about the product. And so I realised, you know, in pretty short time, that if I could weave in my talent for business and sales, and the talent for sales put me in good stead later on in the corporate world, if I could sell 
with my face and my eyes and my voice on camera, I'd never be out of work. Yeah. So that's what I learned to do, which in itself is acting. Because yeah. when you're playing a character, you're selling the character and you're selling the storyline. And so when I was cast um, in Neighbours based on the fact that I'd been a commercial model in the UK, um, it wasn't that different. The only stuff I had to learn in a television studio that I didn't already know was the positioning was different, the blocking, the technical side of it, not the emotional side I had, but it was the technical side. I remember my first scene and I was facing the other character in the scene and one of the cameramen jumped off his stool and came and whispered in my ear, if we're going to see you, you'll have to turn downstage. And I said, where's downstage? And he went, you've got to be kidding, right? (laughs) 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 So they sort of helped me learn on the job. Yeah. But the instinctual side of connecting and using your eyes, you know, when I was in scenes as Sarah with Dr. Carl, I did absolutely convince myself in those moments that I was in love with him. And so I, I played it that way. Actors are one of two things. You're either an instinctual actor like me or you're a technical actor. And technical actors do things like they do a lot of movement and sighing and they scratch their head and they hold a pen and, you know, they do a lot of stuff where you go, oh, that's interesting in the scene. Whereas I wouldn't do that. I wanted everything to come from inside. Yeah, and you did it extremely well, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and as a strong female role model, what do you think are the positives and negatives in being in the entertainment industry? Gosh, well, they've changed over the course of this pandemic, really. Um, I used to believe, you know, I used to be like an old school women's liver. Like I, you know, my entire life, this is crazy. This is like a bit of an exclusive, but my entire (laughs) life I've always refused to wear a bra because I find them very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I've breastfed three children, you know, they've gone up like watermelons and back down to where they were. And I was a model and I used to model lingerie and swimsuits and all that stuff. Um, and even on Neighbours, they used to tell me off all the time because my nipples used to be there like headlights in the scene. So they were like, you have to wear a bra. And I was like, they're disgusting. Um <laughs> And so I always felt like I just, I was really a free spirit, even though politically I'm kind of centre-right, I'm like a soft conservative. Um, I think emotionally I have always been like my dad. I've always been a hippie. I just wanted to be me. I never did anything offensive, in my opinion. I was asked to do offensive things as a lingerie model, you know, to sit in certain positions or look a certain way you know that that whole tacky stuff of make love to the camera and all that and I always refused because I said no I don't think I would want to be seen that way or to be portrayed that way and you know there were always six models behind me who were willing to do that yeah so I kind of even as a lingerie model I kind of got a reputation for being more on the conservative side which actually put me in good stead because then I got campaigns with Marks and Spencer in England for, for lingerie in store because they knew, you know, there weren't going to be these horrific, slightly pornographic pictures of me popping up all over the place. Um, and it was only when I got into television that um, I started to realise that uh, controversy was addictive to the public. So mm-hmm. here I was playing a character who was having an affair and I'd written that storyline, so I was very proud of it. So here I was playing a character who was having an affair with her best friend's dad. So Libby was Sarah's best friend, um, who's also her boss. So that in itself was controversial. And rather than shy away from the fact that it's a reality that people have affairs, I wanted to dive into it. And I didn't want to hide Sarah's life under a bushel or mine. I kind of, as they say, wanted to stand in my freedom and all that stuff. And so that's when I started doing quite racy photo shoots and covers for men's magazines because it was colliding with the storyline and I wanted to get more viewers and it did get a lot more viewers. So, again, my business brain was thinking – 
this will keep you your job, you know, yeah. because I was getting more publicity than anyone else. But in recent years, what I have seen is, um, for me, what feels like um, a betrayal of fans who've supported me and us in the media community. And what I mean by that is everyone that is a wealthy television star, film star, someone that would now be considered an elite, um, actresses from Friends who are very famous, uh, rather than give advice, share information, or help people that are suffering, people that weren't as fortunate as them, They've either stayed silent, which mm. I think makes them as guilty because they're just taking mm. care of their own backyard, or they have gone out and been bought off and are promoting something like a vaccine that they know nothing about. Now, the reason I think those who stay silent are guilty is because we've been told for years that if you stay silent on racism or um, sexist activity within the workplace, you're guilty, you need to speak out. You know, if you see something, say mm. something. That's yep. what we were taught. Yeah. Um, and I over, uh, uh, you know, I've been on, I've just got kicked off Twitter and I was on there since 2011. And I developed friendships and loyalties and relationships with my fans, fans I've never met, but fans I feel incredibly loyal to. So when they initially came to me at the beginning of this and said, um, what's going on? Because you're in the media, you probably know more than us. And I knew that I did know more than them. My loyalty changed from using my media presence to sort of keep my job and make money to just helping as many people as I could to get information. Yeah. Wow. And that's, and that's, a, massive, that's a massive call, isn't it? Because it can affect... Your life, well, livelihood. It's cost me my career. It's cost me my platforms. Yeah. Um, you know, people are so personally rude and insulting and it's a mixture of, you know, there's a lot of people who um, sort of get excited when they jump on kind of a bullying bandwagon. Mm. And there's also a lot of paid bots that do it as well. You know, they say, you know, they call you a tinfoil hatter, a conspiracy yeah. theorist, an anti-vaxxer despite being fully vaccinated until 2020. Um, they say you're old, your career is finished, neighbours will never have you back. If they ever thought that I was doing any of this for any of those reasons, then they don't know me at all. Yeah. Um, but it's just really sad to see, you know, I've always known because I, I, I breed dogs and I raise dogs and I've always known that humans also exhibit a pack mentality. And, yeah. you know, it's why gangs exist. It's West Side Story. Are they red or are they blue? Are they vaxxed? Are they unvaxxed? Yeah. Um, and it's really sad to see how many people have jumped onto bullying bandwagons or bandwagons that will see them get excited about medical apartheid. Mm, so yeah. it's interesting. I feel that, you know, when people are under pressure, um, this is when you find out who people really are. And so it's very interesting for me with all the people I know, people I've worked with, people I'm in contact with. You are seeing them scurry off in a myriad of different directions. And yeah. I, one, will never forget it. Yeah. Well, I, I absolutely admire you for that because yeah. it's – and for anyone that thinks that it's easy <laughs> – it's just like for, for, for people standing out, and I know that that was a decision for my business, that you know my business is about having a voice and being your authentic yeah. self. So if I am not standing up for what I believe in, and it can be polarizing. It's you know it, it can be very polarizing. So it's 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 a challenging thing to be able to step yeah. up about what's happening. And as you were censored in Twitter, and I haven't got the profile that you have, I was censored on LinkedIn. And for me to get into and by asking by asking one question to the prime minister, and it was how can you say that this this injection is safe and effective? And so, and I was completely, I was banned and the only way I can get back in there is if I show my passport or my licence and that's frigging not going to happen, let me that's tell you. That's right. Yes, you go on a list then. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. My, my two last comments on Twitter and I went down very quickly within five minutes after these were, 
um, in one sentence I said it's very evident that we no longer have human rights yeah. and then in the same minute I also posted uh, a link to Craig Kelly and said I supported him for Prime Minister of Australia and within five minutes boom I was gone. Wow that is yeah. just scary stuff isn't it it's just well that... it's because then I was sent a link um through my U.S. contacts and I have great contacts in all fields military policing government uh, media in the USA because I was there for seven years and um they sent me a court case of a senator in the U.S. who had 355,000 Twitter followers and it, and he's a Republican so he's more on the conservative side and he was about to knock uh, one of their lefty senators out of a seat. Um, and Twitter removed him. And so what he did is he took Twitter to court. And it was proved in court that it actually wasn't Twitter that had removed him from Twitter. It was the government. Wow. So it was sent to me to say, look, you know, yes, we all hate Jack Dorsey. And yes, we all hate Twitter censorship. And yes, it could be Twitter. But it might not be. And based on the fact that I was trolled by the I love Dan Andrews bots every time I mentioned his name, the timing's a bit suspicious. Yeah, absolutely. With, with these, you know, celebrities or people that have got a high profile, one thing that, that really, really angers me is because they've got a platform to really be a role model and also yeah. to to you know, people emulate what they do, right? So they go on there and they show the, you know, the shot and suddenly yeah. everyone in the public's doing the same thing. Um, yeah, it's awful. And- it's awful. It's a big responsibility. I remember I saw a press release literally just a couple of weeks ago where Jennifer Aniston, who's done very well, very well, thank you very much, thank you nicely, out of the general public, has announced that she won't work with any cast or crew members who have not been vaccinated. Wow. So what she's doing there is obviously being paid off, but also using her voice um, for medical apartheid. And this yeah. is a person that was embraced into people's hearts because they loved a character. Yeah. Um, and we understand that better than anyone. But I just think in that case, that was the wrong thing to do and say, because this person is has probably been shielded from adverse reactions, but is clearly a clever girl and so could have done her own research. And, you know, why on earth does anyone who isn't a scientist or a medical doctor think it's okay to go and recommend someone put something into their veins and not know what it might do to them. I remember I saw I was sent a horrific little video of Carl Sanderlands doing a version of Ice Ice Baby, but it was a Vax Vax Baby. Mm. It was a music clip. And I just, you know, I don't like him at the best of times because I think he's a bit of a chauvinist. Yeah. Um, And I don't like that his female counterparts on the show are just, uh, booked because they're yes, Kyle, no, Kyle, three bags full, Kyle. They don't have their own voice and their own opinion. Yeah. Um, but when he did that, I just thought, you know, you've got enough money. You know, that's just something you could have stayed out of. I think people's responsibility in the media is to provide as much um, information as possible and. You know, when I'm doing my podcast and when I'm posting things on social media, I often say, look, I can't confirm this, but mm. I've heard and I've seen evidence of, you know, or it's yeah. this morning I did a podcast and I said, look, this has been released uh, in the Journal of Immunology. Well, that's a fact. You can check that for yourself. Yeah. But it's not it's not always like that. And the thing about censorship on someone like me who does that is, I'm not the nine news, I'm not channel 10 news, I'm not the seven news and I'm not the ABC and I don't purport to be. There isn't a little banner, a little ticker across the bottom saying Fox News, CNN, ABC, I'm not the news. So when they say, oh, that's misinformation um, or missing context, it's almost as if they're editing someone on the news to be correct. Well, these social media sites were meant to be personal opinion 
platforms. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's like coming out and saying, well, you know, I'm in my favourite dress today and it's black, and then coming out and saying, no, 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 Nicola Charles, your favourite dress is red. Yeah. <laughs> They're sort of telling you what to think and telling people, well, no, she's wrong. God bless her, but she's wrong. Yeah. Um, and and that essentially is um a dictatorship, and it's quite strange that that's only happened in the last eighteen months. Yeah. Do you believe that celebrities are being paid to show their arm to promote what's happening out there yeah and i know there was a basket people don't realize that um you know there's a lot of talk about i heard some that some nurses in the north of melbourne were selling off these vaccination cards for five hundred dollars each because then you can just go i've been vaccinated and whatever it won't work because obviously there's a digital blockchain system that will register whether you've been vaccinated or not but it was very um, industrious of them to sell them in the first place. Um, but um, I just think uh, I think people have to be very wary of those that have clearly been paid. I think a famous Australian basketballer just yes. came out and said, um, I've been offered a lot of money to say X, Y and Z. Yeah. And if you don't know by now that the people you should be listening to are the people who are not being paid, the people who are being deplatformed and silenced, then I can't help you because the, the, the people that you shouldn't be listening to are eugenics billionaires like Bill Gates. I mean, yeah. Bill Gates A, is not a scientist. He's not a doctor. He's just an extremely, phenomenally rich man. We shouldn't have let him get that way. In England, there used to be the Monopolist Commission and they would stop people owning so many things at one time. Um, he owns more farmland in the USA than anyone else and that's extremely dangerous considering he wants to reduce the world's population. Mm, yeah. Um, and even the new director of the World Health Organization is not a scientist or a doctor and he's the head of the World Health Organization. Yeah. And he, he was proved to be corrupt when he was taking care of Ethiopia. So yep. it's really strange that people would choose to listen to those who have an agenda. We hear this word a lot, you know, there's the agenda. Well, there's the agenda, and then there is all the mini agendas that individuals have. Mm. Yeah. And unfortunately, people might not be aware, but as I said earlier, when I was doing men's magazines and, and photo shoots and stuff, it was as a little capitalist to keep my job, to keep my yeah. career, to keep my income coming in. Now, I've obviously um, removed myself from that system because my conscience wouldn't let me do that in this scenario because yeah. this scenario is different. This isn't um, convincing people to buy a fast car, convincing yeah. people to eat ice cream convincing people to have a fizzy drink they probably shouldn't because it's full of sugar yeah um this is people's lives future health the health of their children so for me i draw a line at that i was yeah. happy to be a ruthless capitalist when it was just about buy this product yeah i did yeah. my job when can i get paid this is different and yet some people a lot of celebrities still feel the way they did as if they were selling a car or a fizzy drink and I find that more than a little bit disturbing. Do you think they actually feel like they're removed from normality to be able to do that? I think they're cold. Yeah. There's a difference between a cold-hearted capitalist and a capitalist. Yeah. They, they um, either don't care to know about the ramifications of their recommendations or suggestions or um you know perhaps they're listening to their agents i don't know but we are all responsible for the things that come out of our mouths we are all yeah. responsible for the positions we take when it comes to life and death uh, when it comes to human rights being removed from innocent people this is what hurts me. You know, my mother got vaccinated mm, yeah, when, because she trusted her government in the yeah. UK. When I feel that it's been a confidence trick and it stops feeling like health and well-being, you know, we've got all our depressed teenagers going on because these are the best years of their life and they can't even go to school. Geez, we used to moan about going to school. Now they're desperate to go to school. Um, I think 
we've reached a point where um, it's it's that point in the movie, isn't it? It's that turning point in the movie where somebody gets shot and you pick a side. Yeah. Are you going to be with the good guys and you're going to try and get out of this even if it costs you your life? Or are you going to go with the bad guys to try and save your own skin? But we all know you're going to end up dead anyway because you've done the wrong thing. It's that literally that point in the movie. Yeah. And so I decided that even though I know I'm being watched, I know I'm being shadow banned, I know I'm on lists, um, I literally get scared when I go out of my house and exercise. I've had messages from very powerful people in the media, some of them threatening me. Um, they threatened me when I released my autobiography because I told the truth of what happened on a television set. Yep. They threatened me again because of my stance with regard to the pandemic. Um, but I've also had uh, a lot of messages of support as well. So it's a mixed bag. Like I said, we're at the point in the movie where you decide how you're going to live. And some of the messages of support have said to me, please be careful. Yep. China is watching. You keep talking about China. Please stop. And it's like, when did we stop living in a world where we could tell the truth? You know, I grew up in the UK and you were either for Margaret Thatcher or you were against her. You either stood with Margaret Thatcher or you stood with the miners and the unions who hated her. Yeah. Now, people's lives weren't at risk for picking a side because that was a democracy. Yeah. And yes, it was fraught and yes, it was energetic. But you were allowed to have a democratically held opinion. And right now it feels like we don't. Yeah, 100%. And I think what as a coach, because I've studied people, that's what I do, like watching the social conditioning, the language yeah. that they use, the, the narrative, yeah, sure, the, yeah, the whole narrative and the, the language and, you know, everything that happens uh, it's. I find it really fascinating that, you know, I've learned so much in the last, what, year and a half, nearly two years now, uh, and I've been always been an insatiable learner. So I've always liked questioning my, my beliefs. You know, I believe this, but what about if that wasn't true? You know, so I've always been open to learn, and I've learned so much in the last couple of years. But what really gets me is that, Sometimes I get comments that people are completely, it's like they just watch the news and that's all they watch and Thank that's, their, that's yeah. their truth. And, and like if you watch the news, there's nothing to do with any injection injuries, for instance. Yeah. And I know there's yeah. thousands of them. I mean, I was in a group, uh, a Canadian group actually, because I wanted to see what was happening around the world and I was in an Aussie group and but I was in this, this uh injuries for for the uh, injection for uh, in Canada and there was 95,000 people in that group and there were real stories videos and these people that haven't been heard and suddenly did they cancel the group pardon did they cancel the group yep shut down gone and I've like, been in a couple of those groups worldwide and they got one got up to 138,000 people wow. in the group and then boom they're gone Wow. And then, I, then I'm doing different posts on social media and I had this person say, what are you talking about injuries? There's none. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. There's none. <laughs> and it's just because they're seeing one narrative and it's so yeah. censored. Um, well, and- they don't want people to work out the numbers because what they're telling people is it's like any vaccine. It's like taking the contraceptive pill, you might get blood clots. Um, it's like any vaccine. Well, for a start, the narrative of using the word vaccine, it's not a vaccine. Yeah, that's Because right. a vaccine, my mum's a microbiologist or was before she retired. You know, to make a vaccine, you have to have a miniature isolate of the disease you're vaccinating against in a minute form to put into the body. So the body sees it in a minute form and just bombards it and kills it. And there you go, you have immunity. This doesn't work like that. People yeah. don't seem to be able to grasp that concept. In fact, um, there's a lot of scientific, this is not me, there's a lot of scientific evidence to show that um, 
this actually uh, destroys human immunity by yeah. anything from eight to 250 times, yeah. meaning that each um, vaccinated human could potentially be 250 times weaker than the average person. And they know that. And that's why they're trying to bring in these boosters and you'll have to have them every three months. And what we've done here is we went from the 80s where it was say no to drugs yeah. to encouraging people to get on board with a program that they, they never really gave them the full information that this is literally Hotel California. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. Once yeah. you're on this program, you're on it for life. And what does that do? That creates an awful lot of customers for the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the other things that I think, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, censorship and all of that sort of stuff, it just really frustrates me that people do not see that that this this is life and death. Like this yeah. is life and death. What it what we say, what we don't so and what gets me is that the people aren't taking responsibility of being able to say, look, just look at this information. Like just yeah. look at it. Just have a look at it. And I know my family same with with my mum. My mum's ninety four now, and I wow. knew and I knew that she was going to take it because mum follows the rules. Wow. And so, and and the day Nicola that she that I rang her and she said and she didn't want to tell me and when she told me she took it I just I wanted to burst into tears. Same. You know, yeah. it's like you know I watch these things and it just it's heartbreaking to to know that. You know, people are also, there is information there for people to see, but they're just blocking it out. Yeah, um, I know. It's, it's, it's difficult to get through to people. And, look, we're in a world now where we've got, if we want it, we're kicked off certain platforms, but we can use other means. We can use yeah. phone. We can use email. We can start a new platform. I've now lost 30,000 people plus who were in Canada, America, the UK, Germany, and South Africa on my Twitter. And they're likely never to find me again. Um, but a lot of them do, and they find me through different avenues. But, you know, we're struggling right now to get the truth out there and to warn people and to prepare people at least for what is a possible outcome. You know, 18 months ago, uh, YouTube have left my stuff there, but they removed... Um, a video called Conspiracy Theory, The Great Reset, which I posted in April 2020. And in it, I talked about, and I said, look, I know this is crazy. And the reason I've called this a conspiracy theory is because apparently we're not even going to be able to go state to state without these health passports, these IDs. Well, last week, YouTube took that down. Since April 2020, it's been there because if they don't take it down, that legitimizes in my information. Yeah. Because I had that information long before it was there. Because at that time, you know, you would, I think there's a little meme going around and it says uh, April 2020, um, we're going to need health passports, you know, to get out of bed in the morning and go to work. And to go to work, I mean, it's crazy. Mm. And anyone peddling these lies of the conspiracy theorists. And um, and then in 2021, on the same date, it says anyone against health IDs is a tinfoil hatter. And it's like, you know, the, the difference between a conspiracy theory and fact is now about six to eight months. That's how this stuff is working. Yeah, yeah. And so things that people are listening to now on my podcast, and believe me, I don't talk about things lightly. I do do my research. Mm. Um, I'm a very good citizen journalist. And um What's interesting is they're listening to it and go, oh, gee, you know, some people message me and they say, oh, my God, you've just terrified me. Like, really? Is that a possibility? And then six months later, they're like, oh, my God, you were right. Because yeah. I said, you know, the unvaccinated won't be allowed into restaurants and this, that and the other. And they just can't believe that it's coming true. But the problem with that is this is information we're managing to get to each other now. But in a few weeks' time, look, it could be a few days, but in a few weeks' time, they're going to 
flick a switch and the internet is going to go dark. There will be no communication, not by phone, not by email. What will happen is state-sponsored television will pop up. It won't even be the nine o'clock news and it will be reassuring you that your government is doing the best it can. Uh, this is what's happening. Everyone stay safe. Um, don't worry. The UK, the BBC is already releasing articles saying it's because of a solar flare from the sun and it's going to disrupt the undersea internet cables. Mm. Well, I was talking about it as soon as they said it and said, well, if a solar flare, which has never happened in half a century of my lifetime, if a solar flare is going to do so much damage to an undersea internet cable, surely the ocean itself would create tidal waves um, <laughs> and tsunamis because you can't damage a cable without the sea moving around. Yeah. And they said, no, 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 this is sort of an electrical interference. And then they said, well, unfortunately, the... Um, power cables that run under the sea they were reinforced for this kind of thing but we neglected to do it for the internet and they are literally feeding this crap to people and people will believe it yeah absolutely because the internet bounces off satellites yeah. but if they tell you it bounces off undersea cabling yeah. there is no undersea cabling that takes my email from melbourne to my friends in london i can yeah. tell you that yeah <laughs> I, I sometimes nicola i sometimes think that some of the stuff that they're doing, are they just laughing? Like, are they going, oh, let's do this and see if they believe it? Ha, ha, ha. Oh, we'll we'll shut down playgrounds or we'll tell people not to go to the beach and let's see what they do about it. You know, some of the stuff is so crazy. There's a KGB officer that was interviewed on British television in the 1970s, and I think it's pretty much done the rounds around social media. But he talks about the methods used by governments to basically discombobulate the electorate um, and mislead them. And what's interesting is when social media is telling us that we are giving out misinformation, they themselves are so guilty of misinformation. Um, I think Facebook and Twitter are just about to change their algorithms that uh, no one will see any posts that are about politics. So they arbitrarily remove that decision for everyone that uses their platforms. We've got Samsung, Apple, and Google who are actually trying to get pushed uh, through Congress um, a bill that allows them to just spy on innocent people, download all their stuff, which I'm sure they're doing anyway. Uh, It's being held up in America by certain um, senators, and they're trying to stop that going through. But this is what's coming. And what's interesting is um, I said a few days ago to the people I have left, um, you know, they're, they're relying an awful lot on these smartphones. If you all want this to end, you either don't pay your phone bill, you leave your smartphone at home and use it like a tablet, essentially. Um, I use a pay-as-to-go phone, just a basic shitty phone when I leave to have for emergencies. Yeah. But these smartphones that have cameras and voice recorders and know everything we do and say, in 2015, the Rothschilds, and you can go onto the NIH website and see this, the Rothschilds in 2015 took out a patent on a process whereby when someone picks up their smartphone in the morning, it tests their blood oxygen level and their heart rate and their temperature. So we are careering into a world where as soon as you use your phone, take it off charge or touch it, your phone could literally say, um, you have a high temperature, you cannot go to work today, access denied, and boom, you're locked in your house. Joe Biden just passed a bill that all new cars that are about to be made in America have to be fitted with a biometric system in the cab. All new cars. So you could get into your car and it will apparently decide if you're too angry to drive, you've had too much to drink to drive, or your temperature is too high and you're at risk of COVID-19. So your car won't start. Wow. So this, this dystopian future that we're going into, and they already have this technology. There are people blowing into tubes in their cars now because they've had a drink driving offense yeah. before the car will start. 
this technology and technology we're not even aware of yet, all this AI that's coming in, is there already. They've given us the basic technology while they work uh, on the more advanced stuff that they're literally just going to drop on our lap. You know, China has already got these robotic dogs running around the street and they can stand up and be six foot tall. And they take your temperature to see if you're allowed out during the age of the pandemic and to check if you're social distance. And that's why they say this whole 1.5 meters apart, it isn't, when you sneeze, it goes 12 feet. We were always told that in school in England. When you sneeze, if you don't cover it, your sneeze goes 12 feet. The 1.5 meters isn't about breathing or sneezing. It's about being able to be picked up by a camera on a blockchain system when you're yeah. walking down the street. Yeah. That's what social distancing is in stores and everywhere. We're literally going to be pawns in their giant game. This is what they're calling the fourth industrial revolution. And we're either going to accept this because it will enslave us on, on a lot of levels. It will enslave us financially and physically. Or we fight against it now because the time is now. If, if we are exposing their lies about COVID, and I believe we are, there's enough information out there. Yeah. Australia seems about a month behind every other country because while they're saying the PCR test doesn't work and natural immunity is better for COVID-19, Australia is still standing there. Uh, Brett Sutton actually said, when a journalist said, oh, have you heard the PCR test don't work? Um, he actually said, oh, no, it's fine in Australia. Yeah. Well, how so, Brett? How is it fine in Australia? They've discovered in America, and your listeners might not know, that a sheep, a watermelon, and a glass of water yeah. test positive for COVID-19 with the PCR test. Yeah. We've all been had. This has been a giant long con by criminal wealthy elites who run the banks and we need to stand up as one and say no we have to remove these politicians but we also have to put in place policies because the biosecurity act was a backdoor don't forget bill gates was in computers his entire career yeah and what he did is he worked on virus software and what does virus software do virus software protects you from a leak at the back you didn't know and all the pop-ups come in and all that stuff what he found was a leak in the back door of a biosecurity act that he could get in. And he managed to get in. And what happened? We got a virus. Yeah. Wow. You know, with all this all this stuff happening, Nicole, and I know this has been a challenge for me, how do you balance, because some of it is such dark stuff, isn't it? Like it's dark yeah. stuff and and scary stuff. How do you balance getting this information, you know, being informed, then oh. letting go. Because I know sometimes my husband's like, okay, enough, enough. <laughs> Just yeah, same, go for same. a walk or whatever. How do you how do you balance that? Well, you know what? I think you probably have a lovely, healthy relationship and it's the same for me. Um, everyone brings different strengths to their relationship. And I said many times it took me 47 years to meet my soulmate. Um and the thing about Nick is um, he loves to get information from me, but he also likes to help me walk away and switch off. Um, and he does that in a myriad of different ways. And, you know, he likes stupid cartoons like Family Guy. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes he just says, okay, that's enough now. It's time to switch off. And it's lovely because that's then sort of taking care of your mental health. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the trickiest part is um, knowing that I want my children, my teenagers, particularly as they're going to speak to teenagers and allow them to have a uh, vaccine choice outside of parental consent. Yeah. Is, is to tell them what I think they need to know without terrifying them um in a responsible way um and also letting them know that they are free to choose and that's how i uh, move forward with my children but i think it's the height of cruelty that they're starting to see doors closing closing with regard to their first employment you know they want to work in shops and uh, fast food outlets and stuff like that and also they're trying to vaccinate the kids before they do their year 12 exams so 
it's a very, very sad time because I know that their childhood is nothing like mine was. And I think because I feel lucky enough that I had so much opportunity in life, I had a great life for a long time. And I believe, like everyone else, that we were free. And I believe that that freedom was God-given and it would never go because we lived in Western nations. Yeah. But I remember when I lived in America and I joined the Republican Party. And because I joined the Republican Party, because I'm a conservative, they sent me out a mug and it said, uh, you know, welcome to the Republican Party. And they sent me out a coffee mug and on the mug it said, freedom isn't free. And I always looked at that comment, freedom isn't free, and I just thought, what do they mean by that? And when 2020 arrived, I realized what it meant, that it was going to cost me greatly to keep freedom. Yeah. And I am someone who has decided that I am actually prepared to pay the price. Same, same. Love that. Love it. Well, Nicola, this this has been such a great. I could I could talk to you for hours, hours, hours. I'm sure we get we can have a chat after this as well. But I want to get uh, I want to thank you. How will the guys be able to follow you since you get blocked from everything? Yeah, um, well, I joined Getter, which is G E T T R. They seem pretty free at the moment, yeah. um, and I'm wild on Getter. Like, there's yeah. no holding me back. It's conspiracy theories amundo. Um, so I posted some stuff this morning about this cabal that's been discovered on Google Earth, where they're like in a temple and wearing white coats, and you know all the crazy stuff that I get sent that. You know, I maybe wouldn't post everywhere else. I definitely post on Getter and I just let, you know, leave people to their own conclusions. Um, I am, where else am I? I'm still on Instagram, but I reckon I've got about 48 hours left on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, all they can do at this point is listen to the podcast, Charles yeah. in Charge. And if they want to email me information and have me connect with them, I'm at charlesinchargeaustralia at gmail.com, but rightly so, they've advised me to move away from a Google account. So that will be changed soon, and I'll tell them what that change is on the podcast. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. All right, well, we've got your 10 fun rapid questions to finish off. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? That it's better to have tried and failed than to have failed to try. Love it. Your favourite book? Oh, it was In Pieces, the autobiography of Sally Field. Oh, I haven't read that one. Who would play you in a movie? Gemma Arterton. (laughs) What's one thing on your bucket list? Um, To go back to Greece, a country I spent a lot of time in with my Greek partner nick beautiful and i know i i know that you love to cook just like me i'm a passionate cook what is your favorite dish to cook Uh, my favorite dish for me to cook is thai green curry yeah yum my husband's sri lankan so Ah. (laughs) we love curry we love it spicy going on then (laughs) (laughs) who would uh, who would you get i know i already know the answer to this who would you vote for trump or biden trump if you could have five people, dead or alive, for dinner, who would you choose? Oh, they'd all be alive briefly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll leave it that. <laughs> if, you, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? To rid the world of greed. Beautiful. I love that. What TV sitcom family would you be a member of? Family Guy. <laughs> we often say that The Simpsons for us. We call, I call my husband uh, Homer, my son Bart, <laughs> and I'm Marge. There we go. What legacy do you want to be remembered for? Um. Gosh, um, hopefully kind of. Truth and integrity. Yeah, 
Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Nicola. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I could absolutely, seriously, with, with my interest in what's happening in the world and everything that you've achieved, I could I could talk to you for hours. So, But I really appreciate that you've been on the podcast. I really appreciate you speaking up because I think, as you mentioned uh, before, it's if you're silent, it's like to me, it's like you're participating in what's happening. Yeah. And so yeah, the more we're the people... little people and we have to have a voice. And those of us that have maybe just a slightly bigger voice and a yeah. and a larger voice because of platforms and stuff, I think we have a duty here. I really do. Thanks for tuning in to Be Your Own Best Coach with JJ. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at JJ Speaker Coach. And remember to live with insatiable passion, create an empowered life and inspire others to live theirs.